Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to come seeking you with all our hearts. May it be you that we hunger for, you that we long for as we look at your word. And so, Lord, we pray that we would look at your word so that we can keep it, so that we can please you, and so that we are blessed, so that we can take great joy in yourself as a result of examining your word together. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I announced earlier, today we have a members' meeting after the service for the election of a deacon. And so I thought that it might be helpful for us this morning to remind ourselves about the office of a deacon and how we have come to have deacons in the church and to particularly look at this passage in Acts chapter 6, which I do believe is the first indication of deacons in the church of God, in the early church There's a problem that has arisen in the church that led to the deacons being introduced, and that is given to us in verse 1 of chapter 6 of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. So I encourage you to look at that with me now, Acts chapter 6, as we examine the institution of deacons and how they came about. In chapter 6, verse 1, page 1083, if you've got a black church Bible, we read that in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. As uh, is shown again and again in Acts, the people of the early church, the early Christians, were very generous towards one another, particularly to those who had needs. And one of the things that uh, was quite apparent amongst uh, people of that century is that widows were often the people who had great needs. Uh, There wasn't the welfare benefits that we enjoy here in Australia, they, if you lost your husband, you were often very much dependent upon those around you. And so the early church looked after their widows. But we see here that a problem has arisen where there's two groups of widows, and one group of widows is being particularly looked after, and the other group of widows is not being looked after. The two groups are Hebraic widows and Grecian widows. What's the difference between the two? Well, the Hebraic widows are Jews who have lived in Jerusalem, lived in Israel all their lives, and have stayed there. So they've still got the Jewish culture. The Grecian Jews are ones who have moved out uh, at some point or may have even been born further afield from Israel throughout the Grecian world, and they've adopted some of the culture customs of the Grecian world and the language, the Grecian language. And then they've returned to Jerusalem probably when their husbands passed away. As I said before, the widows in that time didn't have a lot of assets, particularly it was very difficult for a woman to own land. And so if they're out in the other part of the world, in the Grecian world, and the husband dies, they would often come back to Israel so that they could be cared for. An example of that happening in the Old Testament, of course, is Naomi and Ruth. Naomi goes away to Moab, her husband dies, her her sons die, And so what does she do? She goes back to her extended family so they can provide for her. And so what is happening here in the early church is that those widows who have been elsewhere, who may not even know the language very well back in Jerusalem, have come back and they aren't given the same preference in the early church when it comes to welfare. Because some of the characteristics of them, some people may look down on them and say they're not really true Jews. And so they would look down on them because of the language that they spoke or customs that they had adopted whilst being outside of Israel. 
And so this is a real problem in the early church. There's complaints being made. And the apostles recognize that this is a major problem. In one sense, this is almost a racial problem that's happening there and could split the church into Grecian Jews and to Hebraic Jews if something is not done. So the, pro- and the apostles recognize that this is a real problem. And they don't say, there's the door. If you don't like it, you can get out. No, they say, we've got to keep these people together. We recognize that we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, and this is a real problem, and we need to solve it. Now, what is the solution to the problem? Well, one would be that the apostles take over the daily distribution of food, making sure that everybody gets the right amount. But what would happen then? Well, we read what their fear is would happen in verses 2 and 3. It says in verse 2, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The apostles recognize that their responsibility is the ministry of the word and prayer. And if they're caught up with making sure that everyone gets the right amount of welfare, they won't have enough time or they won't have much time to give to their primary responsibility, which is the ministry of the word and prayer. So instead of handling the matter themselves, they say, what we need to do is hand this matter over to some men who can take charge of it. We can entrust them and they can look after it. And we saw that in verse 3. They say, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them. And then we see that the proposal in verse 5, it says, please the whole group. And they chose seven men. And those men, the apostles, accept. They pray for them, lay hands on them, and they give the ministry over to them. And what happens as a result? Well, we read in verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So we see here the introduction of deacons. The word deacon doesn't actually appear there as the office itself, but the word that is used, the verbal form of it, is used a couple of times there. It's a ministry of waiting on tables, that waiting there. And so the idea is there in the text, that this is the office of deacon being introduced into the early church. Now, thankfully, Moines Baptist Church isn't facing a racial split over welfare benefits. We are greatly blessed here in Australia that there are welfare benefits for those who have great need. Sometimes we as a church do provide financially and other care for people in the church, but there is a lot of administration that comes with running a church. Any church has administration matters that come to their attention uh, quite a lot, whether it be matters relating to finances, matters relating to buildings, missionaries, just even policies. There's a bit of red tape that we have to go through being here in Australia. And when it comes to members, having members, there's different matters that have come through that are just administration, purely administration. And they are part of what it means to be part of a local church. And then, of course, part of a local church means that there should be the ministry of the word and prayer. There's administration that's caught up in a church, but there's also the ministry of the word and prayer. There is prayer meetings, You expect people to be praying in the church, not just when the meetings are going on as well, that they're praying in their own quiet times, particularly your leaders of your church. And we expect that the word is administered, whether it be preached, whether it be in Bible studies, whether it be spoken face-to-face, 
different. Uh, in people's homes, we expect administration to be happening in a church, and we also expect ministry of the word and prayer to be happening. So how do we get such work done? Well, we follow the, uh, the instructions of Scripture, and we have the two offices that God has given us. That is the office of deacon and the office of elder. Uh, they are clearly taught in 1 Timothy chapter 3, where the office of deacon, the office of elder is there, and the qualifications that you need if you are to be one of those, in, serving in one of those offices. So deacons are responsible for administration, and elders are responsible for the ministry of the word and prayer. That is the way the Lord has set it up for the early church, and that carries on through to today. But here at Moines Baptist, our elders have noticed that there has been a bit of creep of administration into the elders' workload. We've noticed that we are taken up with more and more administration, particularly as the church has gotten a little bit bigger, and that there's more uh, policies and different things that come to our attention. We have more missionaries than when I first began. There's lots of different matters that are coming along. And I personally uh, recognise that I do quite a few tasks each week that are administration, and you don't need a teaching gift to do quite a lot of the things that I do. And I do them partly because I'm the full-time employee, so I feel an obligation. And I'm also one of the residents in Dremoyne, so there's a lot of things that I can do very quickly, whereas for some people that have to drive a fair way to get here and to complete it and then drive back, it's just easy for me to complete those tasks. And so I managed to fit this administration in around my primary responsibility of the ministry of the word and prayer. But also the other elders. We've noticed at elders' meetings that there's more and more administration that we're dealing with at our elders' meetings. As you look at the agendas, as you look at the minutes afterwards, you see that there's quite a bit of administration that we're dealing with. Yes, we do take time to pray for the members of the church. We do take time to assess teaching opportunities and teaching matters. But we are dealing with a fair bit of administration. And the thing is, we deal with it at the meeting, which means there's less time for prayer. And we also then find that the elders are taking on the tasks that come out of that uh, so that then we're following up with further administration down the track. So what is the solution? Well, we believe that we should follow the instruction of Scripture. We should be guided by passages like Acts chapter 6 and make sure that we are handing over administration matters as possible to godly, capable, willing men who will serve in that office of being a deacon. So they can handle some of the administration that has begun to creep over into the elders' workload. And that's why we're going to be presenting Angelo at a members' meeting after the service to the members to become a deacon of the church. We believe that he fulfills the requirements of being a deacon that is willing and capable of taking on some of the workload that we handle, but he's also a godly man. That's an important thing to note. Because that is something that we see there in the text as well. They want to hand this matter over, not just to anyone who will do it, but what does it say in the text? It says in verse 3, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Full of the Spirit and wisdom. Now, some churches make an error in thinking that if you're successful in the business world and you attend our church, then you should automatically be a deacon of the church. You can take all those skills, those capabilities that you have, and we can benefit from those by having you be a deacon of the church and the fact that the person isn't necessarily full of the holy spirit and we're not even sure if they're actually saved well that doesn't really matter because they've got such good gifts and they they seem to like us and they seem to be willing to serve 
And so we let these people become deacons of the church. But that is not what we're supposed to do. It's clear here from the text that they're meant to be full of the Spirit. Now, why would that be? Well, firstly, because their motivation for serving would be a love for the ministry of the word and prayer. See, deacons may not be gifted in the ministry of the word, but they should love the ministry of the word, love that preaching happens, love that the Bible is taught, and they want to see more of it, and that is why they do the administration. They don't do the administration for administration's sake. They do the administration's sake for, for the sake of the ministry of the word and prayer. They want the elders of the church to have more time for prayer and ministry of the word. They want to see more of it. And if you're not a believer, then that's not going to be your motivation for doing administration. And also, if you're a deacon of the church, then you're going to have to deal with complaints from time to time, like we see here in the early church, and you're going to have to deal with those graciously and be winsome in the way that you speak to people and help them. Whereas in the business world, often it's very cutthroat. They don't care if you've got a problem. They just um, steamroll right over you. Whereas that's not what a deacon should be doing. A deacon should be full of the spirit and of wisdom and supporting the work that goes on by the elders. Now, why bother with the administration? And why bother with the ministry of the word and prayer? Why should we want to see administration done well in the church and ministry of the word and prayer happening in the church? Well, both types of work are invaluable if we want to see the spread of the word. It's interesting that you see, after administration is handed over to these deacons, what happens in verse 7? The word of God spread. And even priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Jewish priests were being converted because administration was taken care of and ministry of the word and prayer was happening. See, if we ignore administration, then we actually undercut the ministry of the word and prayer. Because a lot of administration matters are to do with practical love towards people of the church. That's why we write the church policies about safe children and uh, safe protection, safe ministry training about children. It's out of love. That's why we have those policies in place, so that we protect the children of the church from those who may do them harm. And if we say, oh, it doesn't really matter, well, then that undercuts the ministry of the word and prayer. And people will not be interested in the word of God if they see, well, they speak about God, but then look at the way they handle people in the church. They don't seem to care for one another. Administration isn't taken care of in that church. They have very little time to look at people's needs. And so we see that administration has a a place in the church so that the word of God would spread. But we also recognise that ministry of the word and prayer is vital in the church as well. If you've got great administration happening in the church, that's one thing. But eventually, if you've got lots of programs and you're caring for one another really well and your policies are rock solid, but there's no ministry of the word and prayer, eventually that administration will dwindle and die because the motivation for doing the administration is no longer there, which is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and our love for God. So we need both in the church. If we are to see the word of God spread, we need administration to be taken care of. That's why we have deacons. And we need to see that the ministry of the word and prayer is taken care of, and that's why we have elders. 
These two things are often compared, particularly in our Australian uh, uh, Sydney culture, uh, we're Christian culture here, as a trellis and a vine. A trellis and a vine. If you know anything about gardening and vines, they do like something to crawl up. And if you want to have a healthy vine, you need a trellis to hold up the vine. But you also need a vine on that trellis. Otherwise, you've just got a nice-looking trellis. And so administration, the diaconate work, the work done by deacons, is compared to a trellis. It's important to have the trellis there to support the vine, the ministry of the word, to hang off that trellis so that it can go even further. And so if you lose one or the other, you end up with either a nice-looking trellis with no vine on it, you've got great administration in the church, Nice-looking trellis, but no vine. Or if you have no administration, you end up with this vine that's creeping all over the ground, doesn't really know how to get up and spread out because it hasn't got a trellis to climb up. And so we need both in the church. And it's easy to see how if you minimise one or the other, it can cause great damage within a church. One way to see this is if the pastor, the primary preaching elder is swamped with administration work, well, then his teaching will suffer. He'll have less opportunity to preach. He'll have less opportunity to teach one-to-one. And he will have a a lesser degree of... uh, he, He won't preach as well. He won't speak as well if he is taken up with administration work. If he's swamped by administration work all the time, then it's easy to see how his ministry will suffer. And, of course, he would then have little time for prayer about the work that he does if he's always doing administration work. I could see this even in my own life. I almost didn't take on scripture at the local school this year because I just wasn't sure I'd have the time for it. And I was always, almost going to cancel the Easter uh, Kids Club, the, the school holiday kids club that's coming up this year as well, um, because I wasn't sure we'd have enough time so close to Easter, whether I'd be able to get all the administration work done that's involved in Easter. Thankfully, the school holidays are actually two weeks after Easter. Otherwise, I'm not sure I would have actually done it. And you can see very quickly how, if you've got a lot of administration work upon the pastor and upon the other elders in the church, that the ministry of the word and prayer does suffer. And the worst case scenario is if administration swamps the elders too much, all teaching stops because the elders burn out or the pastor burns out and the church closes. I mean, that was one of the fears I think that Jethro had there in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 18. Moses was there and he was dealing with so many cases that were brought before him, so much administration that his father-in-law feared for him. He says in Exodus chapter 18, which we read before, he said, Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. Modern word for that is burnout. You will wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And so Jethro was then very clear about what Moses had to concentrate on. He had to delegate work over to other capable men, but you concentrate on teaching them the decrees and laws and showing them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. His responsibility was teaching. And he was fearful that if Moses let other things come in, he would wear himself out and wear the people out as well. And what would happen to the church of God then, there in the desert? It's easy to see how this can happen to church plants. 
Someone plans a church, often the pastor is very enthusiastic and he may have a couple of people around him that are enthusiastic as well. But as the administration gets higher and higher, eventually the pastor burns out. And if he was doing most of the work, what happens when he resigns? The church plant closes, particularly if other people in the church aren't too keen on picking up any of the slack. He was doing everything, particularly if they're not meeting in a building that they own. He's the one lifting out the chairs every Sunday. He's the one setting up the sound system. He's the one taking care of everything. And so when he burns out, church plant disappears. And so we have to recognise that administration work, if we ignore it, we haven't got that trellis there that we need so that the vine prospers. The other extreme is if you have a church that has all kinds of programs but not ministry of the word and prayer. They have a nice-looking trellis but doesn't talk about God. And there are sadly many churches that are like this. They're full of programs but very little about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's the result? Eventually, that church dwindles, closes, and the gates of the church are locked, and it just becomes a historical artefact on the face of this world. Had some great programs going there for some time, but the ministry of the word and prayer were neglected. So we need both. And we at Dremoyne Baptist Church, we need deacons. If Moses had to delegate, if the apostles had to delegate, then surely Joel, Ray and Danny have to delegate too. God spoke to Moses face to face. God doesn't speak to Joel face to face, at least yet. So if Moses had to delegate, then Joel has to delegate. And that's why we're doing what we're doing today at the members meeting. We're making sure we fulfill the commands of scripture so that we can see the word of God spread amongst the people here and amongst Dremoyne community and further afield. So is that your heart's desire, that the word of God would spread, that more people would know the great God, the wonderful God that we have and become obedient to the faith? If that is your desire, then vote yes today for Angelo. If you think he is a godly man and capable of supporting the elders so that they can be free to teach and pray, then vote him in. But don't stop there. Don't think that by having Steve and Angelo, we can hand everything over to them and we don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about administration. The elders have got it covered, the deacons have got it covered, so then I don't have to worry about serving in any way. I encourage you, if you want to see the word of God spread, be a deacon yourself, informally. Serve in different ways that you can. God doesn't give you the gifts that he has given you, and you've all got gifts, whether it just be time and money, But the limbs that you have, that you can use to serve God, the different ideas that you have, the different abilities in your mind, he doesn't give them to you so that you can squander them on your own pleasures. He gives them so that you can serve God. And so if you see something, a need in the church that isn't being met, consider, could I do that? Rather than, oh, I'd better let Steve and Angelo know about that so they can take care of it. Think, can I do it? And if you have a desire to serve and you can't see a need, why don't you speak to one of the leaders of the church and say, I'm actually quite keen to get involved in something. Is there anything that I could do to help at this church? And don't just be a deacon informally. Be a minister of the word informally as well. Don't leave all the teaching and prayer 
to the elders of the church. We're all called to pray. We're all called to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. We're all told to speak about the gospel to those around us. When you know someone needs to hear about Jesus Christ, maybe the first thing is that you open your mouth rather than call Joel to come and speak to that person. You share the gospel with them. Seek to be a minister of the word yourself. And when you know someone needs prayer, yes, let me know to pray for them, but you pray too. Don't leave it to me to pray for everyone. You're quite capable of going to the God in prayer if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So yes, we'll elect Angelo, Lord willing, today. But don't hand everything over to him. And don't hand everything over to the elders and think that they've got it covered. If you're keen to see the spread of God's word, then you should be desiring to serve in whatever way you can. The question is, if you're not keen to see the word of God spread, as we see here in verse 7 of Acts chapter 6, why is that? Is it because the word of God has never actually spread to you? That you do not know Jesus Christ, as the word of God tells us. You do not love the Saviour. You do not love God. You do not know what it is to be forgiven of your sins through Jesus Christ's work at the cross. You don't understand how marvellous it was that God himself came and dwelt amongst us. We sang it before about the servant king who humbled himself for our needs. If you understand that, then you'll want other people to understand that too. And you'll want to serve him in whatever way you can when you realise that he was one whose sandals you were not worthy to untie, but he was willing to die the death that you deserve. He took the lowest of all jobs of bearing our sin upon his shoulders. And so if you have no interest in helping with administration in the church and no interest of ministering the word of God and praying, then that's an unhealthy sign. I think it demonstrates, if you have no interest, zero interest, that you don't know what it is to have the word of God spread to you. You don't know what it is to be obedient to the faith as those priests did so many years ago. And so you need to make sure that you're a believer in Jesus Christ before you seek to help with the needs of others. You need to understand who Jesus is. Why? Because if you don't, if you reject Jesus Christ and his work at the cross, then you're committing suicide, eternal suicide. You're committing yourself to death for eternity. And that is a horrible thought. I encourage you, repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. He is the only sacrifice that is acceptable to God for our sins. He is the only one who has a spotless life and can take away your sins by his death on the tree. Don't seek to help others unless you've been helped yourself first by God. When you take a plane trip, they always do the instructions as to what you're meant to do in an emergency. And now that I've got children, I pay attention to the instructions that they give you about when oxygen masks fall from the ceiling. What are you supposed to do if you're a parent and the oxygen mask falls from the ceiling? Are you supposed to get the oxygen mask and apply it to your child's face first or apply it to your face? You're meant to put it on your face 
before you seek to help your child. Why? Because there's a good chance you will die trying to put it on their face. And then you'll save no one. Better to put the oxygen first on your face and then seek to help save someone else. And that's what we're to do. We're meant to apply the oxygen of Jesus Christ to our face first before we seek to help with the needs of others, whether it be administration or ministry of the word and prayer. You need to know Jesus Christ yourself first before you seek to help others. But if you have got the oxygen mask applied to your face, you don't sit there and watch someone die next to you. You get the oxygen that you know you have that gives you life and you apply it to somebody near you, whether it be through administration or ministry of the word and prayer directly itself. You don't sit idly by for the rest of your life, breathing in the oxygen of Jesus Christ and never seeking to apply that oxygen to the people who are dying around you. I encourage you, be a believer in Jesus Christ but then also make every effort you can to use what God has given you so that others can enjoy Jesus Christ, so that they can have the word of God spread to them too and be obedient to the faith and have life everlasting. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we confess that often we do not want the word of God to spread and we show it by our laziness. We show it by the way that we're not interested in doing things to support those who are in ministry of the word. And we show it by the way that we don't want to minister the word ourselves. And we don't want to pray. We've got so many other things that we're much more interested in doing. Lord, we pray that we would have our hearts warmed to Jesus Christ afresh. We pray for anyone in the room who does not know Christ. We pray that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would come to Christ and know the forgiveness of sins now. But Lord, we pray for those of us who have been breathing the oxygen of Jesus Christ for many years. Oh, Lord, we pray that we would not sit idly by while we see needs of people around us who do not know Christ or need to be strengthened in the faith. Oh, Lord, we pray that we would not sit idly by, but you instead would work upon our hearts so that we can minister by our strength that you give us, by Christ's strength working within us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to love you more and love your word more and want to see it spread more so that many can be saved and become obedient to the faith. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.